You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you from the headquarters of the Office of Cable, TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment, which is also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of DC. If you don't follow us already, get with the program. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. Council is just like your workplace, except with a dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. Now, uh, without any further ado, let us welcome our guest, Ward 3 Councilmember Mary Che. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Welcome. Welcome back. Uh, As our frequent listeners know, we recently wrapped up our first round of interviews with council members. They're available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Those focused mainly on getting to know the council members, their backgrounds and biographies. Now in our second round, we're going to focus more on life at the council, their experiences, learning curves, surprises, ins and outs, and ups and downs here. And disclaimer, we gave the council members a bit of a heads up about the kind of questions we were going to ask, um, and also the council members can pass on a question if they want to. They really could have done that last round, too. I'm not sure what I would have done if they tried to pass uh, last round, but this time it's formally authorized. So, um, on to the questions. And the first one in the second round, to thank you for being kind enough to come back as a softball, talk to me about one of the things you're proudest of from your time on the council. Well, you know, when you were thinking about, you know, particularly things that I've passed, um, I have to say I've passed many bills that I'm particularly proud of, and so it was a little hard to winnow it down to it's like picking among children yes and and i love children if you're listening i love both of you equally um (laughs) i picked the healthy schools act that i that i passed because um you know i have a sort of notion about our school system i think we're responsible for the whole child and the whole school is a classroom and when i noticed for example you know it seemed as though our children were having some difficulty you know with with nutritional issues and so on so i passed this bill and it has lots of pieces to it and we're always improving it but it was to raise the nutrition level of the school meals uh, and also to um, provide nutrition and health education uh, to children. It also provided for you know school gardens. It introduced you know uh, the ethics of environmentalism into the schools. And for example, uh, it returned us to something that 
I don't, I don't, I'm not saying anything about your age, but mine, when, you know, we used to have physical activity in the school, which actually should be built into to the school system. And so it has, it has these many pieces. Uh, for example, it provides free breakfast to all students uh, in school. And in some areas where they have a high number of uh, free or reduced lunch, you can even eat the breakfast in the classroom. And initially, there was some concern by some of the educators that that might be too messy or what have you. But after it was implemented, I didn't hear a peep, actually, because when children were coming to school without having anything to eat and, you know, their lives were a little bit chaotic and they didn't have a chance to eat before they got there, before the bell, but now they had something to eat. And so it really made a difference. We are still improving that bill, but I think um, it's been validated by studies, you know, from outside American University and so on, that it really has raised uh, the nutrition level for for the students. It really has changed their uh, nutrition IQ and the physical activity part of it. Uh, the the idea, and I had to convince the then chancellor, because she said that she was just data driven and she didn't want to take any time at all from reading and math. But I asked her to come to my office, and I produced on, the, on my desk a pile of studies, really high, like many feet probably. Uh, and then there was a little tiny pile. Also, I said, Chancellor, you're data-driven. All of these studies show that if you integrate some physical activity in the day of the students, they actually learn better. And this little tiny pile wasn't one that said the opposite, just said we, we, it's neutral, we, we're not finding it, but overwhelmingly, and that's proven to be the case. So uh, that's a bill, as I said, we keep uh, uh, you know, refining it as we go, but I'm, I'm particularly proud of that because, again, it serves this idea that when a child comes to our school, we're responsible for the whole child. We're responsible, obviously, for their education, but we're also responsible fully for their well-being. Absolutely. I mean, it's the old sound mind, sound body thing mm-hmm. that uh, right. sitting still in a chair for six hours is not good Doing or easy tests. for a child, right. you know, is not good. And mm-hmm. um, like you said, if they, I know myself uh, being challenged by the on-time arrival at school, mm-hmm. that normally my daughter has had uh, breakfast before she gets to school, but if she hadn't, uh, that would be wonderful if she could bring breakfast into her classroom and still get that meal in. And every child gets a free breakfast. You get it. You don't have to, you get it. Right. Right. Because, I mean, frankly, if you tried to pick and choose who got it, then Mm -hmm. there's issues of stigma and there's just issues of distribution. Right. Which kid gets it, which kid doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to just give it to the kids. And if they need the food, they'll Mm -hmm. eat it. Yes. And it's, it's, it's been, as I said, not by us, but from outsiders, it's been validated to have had a really positive effect. And I realize this is a slightly different issue, but how are we doing on healthy buildings for schools, like lead and water? Oh, yes. Well, that's that's a piece of it, too, although it involves some additional legislation, of course. So I didn't get to pick one, but you've opened the door so I can talk about others. Um, Come on through. Lead of any amount is dangerous for children. And so we wanted to get lead out of the school system entirely. And so what we have is we have filters on all water, drinking water, and we have regularized testing to make sure the filters are working to keep lead out of the water of kids in school. But on top of that, as I mentioned, the Healthy Schools Act did have some connection, not to the lead part, but to other parts of it. Um, Kids are, uh, they're very environmentally savvy. It's really quite impressive. Uh, And they're also 
also kids have a have a tendency they like competition so our uh, children in schools they they tend to compete with one another who can recycle more who can you know compost more more um, you know their school gardens are, are often a competitive thing as well and so um, all all of those that that feeds into this other aspect that I was talking about I think the whole school is a classroom it's not just when you're in the classroom the building is a classroom the grounds are a classroom it's all a classroom and so um, as, as far as the environmental aspects you know we want the schools and I've modernized um, up to probably my last one just about every school in my ward we want them built with uh, environmentally sound materials we want uh, them to reflect LEED certification to show that they're sustainable and pro- progressive environmentally and so yeah we're, we're attuned to all of that with the with the buildings as well as you know um, what the children eat yeah, it's great to go into a D.C. public school like my daughter's and see one of the filtered water, mm-hmm. fill up your water bottle, water fountains. This mm-hmm. is the exact same ones you see at a national airport. Right, right. Uh, is right there in the cafeteria for the kids because, I mean, stereotypically a lot of them drink milk because that's what comes with lunch. But it's good to see if they want to do a water bottle. Mm-hmm. They're filling up the same way and an executive at the airport And you know what they found out about the, about the kind of water uh, fill up that you're talking about? Kids are used to that, you know. Uh, you know when they go into stores and and such. Uh, we we want to encourage them to drink more water, yeah. and so this actually does it. They like the idea of sticking the bottle under there and and pressing it in the same way they would if they went to some store or something like that. Right. So. As opposed to when we grew up in the water fountains, you had to twist the little knob, and yeah. about one centimeter of water came out, and you had to twist your head. A, right. It's sort of like, th- you know, rites of passage. No clock should ever work, you know, that, that sort of thing. And the water fountains should never really get above, you know, a tiny, tiny dribble. But yeah. now now we have good, good water fountains. That's good to know. Um, now let's flip things and look at them another direction. What is a, of course, there have been no failures um, in your time in office, but... Let's talk about challenges or things that didn't shake out the way you wanted to that maybe you're uh, going to take another run at. Or maybe you're not. Maybe just uh, things weren't uh, meant to be. Well, you know, I've been highly successful with my legislation, and I think one of the reasons why, um, even though, uh, you know, we all may run it, you know, as a Democrat or independent or something like that, the the truth of the matter, there are 13 of us. And um, really, if you can convince your colleagues, if you have good legislation, you can you can move it. And uh, I um, I'm trying to think of some of the things where where I've had some setbacks usually. uh, And maybe it's not a setback. Maybe it's you have to tone down uh, or amend a little bit your legislation to get everybody on board. But since there are 13 of us, if I get six other people to to believe in or be convinced by what I'm doing, I can pass legislation. And so uh, actually I've been been kind of successful uh, at it. You can't think of a single frustration or one that you, the first time at it didn't work, but then you came at it a better way and uh, had well, a success the second time? Well, um, one aspect of this was uh, involved with the Healthy Schools Act, actually. Uh, with the Healthy Schools Act, because we were raising the nutrition level of the meals and requiring some other things, it it would have required more money. And so I wanted to have a funding source for that. And I thought, well, how perfect would it be if the funding source for that was a tax on sugary drinks and soda? Because there's a lot of evidence that young people in particular are price sensitive. So to steer them away from soda uh, to something better to drink. But I was one vote short of that and had to settle for 
an increase in a different tax that was more generalized. The thing about the tax right on the soda, it's an excise tax, it actually makes the item more expensive rather than, you know, when you go to the grocery store, you get all of your goods and then at the bottom they attach whatever sales tax is appropriate. It's, it, you lose the connection. It's a disconnect. So I would have wanted it to be more direct that way, but, I, but that one I couldn't get. And so I had to settle for a different source of funding. And I know with some of your healthy eating initiatives, sometimes it's a struggle getting them funded in the budget. Mm -hmm. The money's added at the council level, but a lot of times money is not in the mayor's budget. Mm -hmm. Talk talk to me about that process, about how you work through uh, within the limits of of, uh, possibility. I can't give away all my secrets, but, uh, well, for, for, for the listener, of course, the mayor sets the budget. The mayor sends over a budget to the council. And whatever amount it is, let's say it's $10, you know, just to have a a number, um, that's the parameter. And unless we want to increase taxes, that's the amount of money that we have. But when it comes to the council, our opportunity arises then. Even though that's the fence around the amount, we get to distribute it how we want. And um, sometimes my frustration is that there'll be things, environmental things or food initiatives or, or whatever, and the, the mayor may not have funded it. Or she may have taken money that was really from a fund that was uh, within the budget for that purpose and redirected. So now you have a problem. It's redirected somewhere. Where are you going to get it to put it back? That takes a lot of, you have to be very meticulous and careful going through the budget to see where there are opportunities where money may not be used, may not be needed, may be inflated in terms of, you know, what the request is, and redirect that money. So that's that's a, a very um, large amount of time of me and my staff going through the budget item by item to see where we can get money for things that we need to fund that haven't been funded or initiatives that, uh, for whatever reason, haven't bubbled up to the top before, or to put back money that the, the, the mayor may have taken, you know, for other things, uh, and you disagree, or even if you agree with how she's allocated it, you also want the other item funded. So it, it's, a, uh, it's a very complicated and um, really time-consuming effort to go through the budget at that level of detail. Right. And and it's 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 so Byzantine because two council members could both pass new initiatives that the mayor, you know, wasn't necessarily super enthused about, but and then one of them gets money in the budget, one mm-hmm. of them doesn't get money, and like you said, you have to internally redirect it right. before the budget right. comes out of it. Right. And and how how that happens and which one got prefunded and which one you had to fight to bring back, that's got to just make you crazy. But there again, you know, uh, and with experience and being on the council and working with my colleagues, actually, uh, I've been pretty successful in being able to direct the money to the kinds of initiatives that I've been interested in and also to direct money to, to things, you know, to school modernizations and firehouses and libraries in the ward. Um, you, you don't just do that when you walk in on day one and you don't even just do that, you know, uh, in year one or year three. Uh, you have to have a you have to have a committee yourself because the committees and the agencies over which they have jurisdiction that's where you as a council member get to be able to really uh look at the budget and, and move things around and i i have a very um major committee with major uh agencies within it and so over the course of time i've been able to to work effectively within those budgets 
Yeah, uh, we had Councilmember Gray was here uh, a couple, two, three weeks ago, and was speaking very highly of you, um, that he was very happy to advance the hospital, mm -hmm. uh, basically make it a, deliver it early. Um, thanks to money that came over from your right. committee, and he was very grateful. Right. I, I, it's not just a, a, a parochial exercise for me. I do try to take care of Ward 3, but I do try to see the needs around the district, and, and if I can move money from a place where maybe it's not that important to stay there to someplace where it's more important, I, I do that. Right, and that was that was capital funds, so... Mm -hmm. um, Operating funds are harder, right. admittedly, because, first of all, they're operating funds, so they have to come right out of that budget straight away. But on top of that, if they're operating funds and it's for a program, you don't want the program to die at the end of that budget. You have to be able to figure out how are you going to be able to have that recurring money there year after year. That's a bigger challenge, whereas, as you say, the capital budget, I can find money and put it in the capital budget, and there it is. Um, but even that's kind of tricky, too, because let's say with a school modernization, sometimes, uh, you know, parents will see, well, they'll say, but you only have $10 million in there for that school modernization. We all know it's going to be more than 10. But the idea is to get yourself on the budget line there so that you can increase it as you need it and you don't spend let's say it's a two to three year modernization of whatever the project is you're going to spend some of the money at the outset and some of the money later so so you have to uh i think now you know my residents uh do have confidence in me when i tell them i said i will get the money and you know i do and also i think we've sort of um right-sized school budgets uh in the sense that uh my daughter goes to Marie Reed, and we mm -hmm. were right on the cusp where there was a certain amount of money. When we sat down with the architects, they said out loud, they showed us designs and said, this is not funded by the, right. the amount of money that's in the budget, but we're sure it'll work out. Mm -hmm. And our council member said, no, said, no, those days are over. Like, we're going to build the school we have the money to build. And I think that's kind of a critical moment. And it came in on time and on budget. But there was, but, and, but we lost out on a gorgeous pool improvement that we would have been yes, thrilled to have. Yes, we can't build but, Taj Mahal's. No, uh, we can't. But I, I'll give you an example of that. There was a, a school I had that had to be modernized. And at the end of the day, given, and it wasn't, you know, excessive over the top. It was just, you know, various things. It was 10 million. We needed 10 million more beyond what had been increasingly added to that budget. And so I couldn't really find it per se. I did find some of it. So uh, you've heard the expression value engineer. Mm -hmm. uh, I asked the, the parents group to come in, the designers, the architects, you know, everybody, DCPS, you know, anybody who was involved. And we got in a room and I said, look, we are going to look at this budget. I said, we're 10 million short. I expect for us to find 5 million in savings. And we're not leaving here till we find $5 million in savings, which we did. And then I was able to find the other $5 million somewhere else. But yes, you, you know, putting together a modernization, whether it's a school or a library or whatever, is, is really hard work. It's hard work in, in finding and directing the money. It's hard work in making sure you stay within the budget. And it's hard work in, you know, um, adjusting some of the expectations so that they're more realistic. It used to be that what we would do is we would bring in a design team, bring in the parents, bring in people who are interested. And they said, well, you know, what, what would you like? 
And it was only later that we would bring in the people who would have to build this, and they would say, we, what you're asking for is not really possible on this budget. So I think we've made it more realistic at the beginning, and so there aren't as many instances where uh, people are, feel disappointed or they feel shortchanged. Right, because if you're told what you're going to get, you're grateful you're getting a new school at all. But if you're promised the moon and right. then you only get halfway right. to the moon, then you're, you're, you're in the weird situation yeah. of having a brand new school and mm-hmm. being irritated mm-hmm. that you were shortchanged. Now, sometimes you don't know about certain things, for example, or, or you don't fully appreciate them. Uh, I remember with the uh, with the uh, Cleveland Park Library, beautiful library that we new library that we have there at the final minute they really needed a million or two million more or something like that really to to recover the basement area and these are buildings that we're going to have for 50 years so uh, on some level you don't want to shortchange it in that way when there's space that could be used uh, and that library by the way is the most heavily used branch library in the entire district so they came to me again and said, you know, we really need this extra money, and I was able to, to find it. Um, or there was a, a project over at Key School, the, the playground area, where they discovered there were certain um, issues about water that had to be dealt with, and they needed, you know, suddenly near the end of the $500,000, you know, to deal with these. So I remember it was bike to school day, and I biked to school with some of the kids. It was over at and then and, and parents... Uh, and happily, I said, well, you know, you're right at the edge here. I said, but happily, we haven't decided the final numbers on the budget, so let me see what I can do. If it had been a week later or two weeks later, uh, I, I might not have been able to, to secure that extra money. And it's also tough, like the last couple examples you gave, and, and we see this with Metro. There's fun things to spend money on, and there's kind of boring infrastructure, no, but like that's the vegetables. Like the, that of the, is the key stuff, I think. I mean, no, it's it really, really important. And, you know, now that we can do some of these things, we should do them. You know that old expression, you should fix the roof when the sun is shining. Um, we're not always going to be able to do all of these things, uh, or certainly not able to do them perhaps at the speed with which we do them, though I'm not saying we're speedy. Um, but still, so it's really important. They may be boring, but they're fundamental, and they're the things that the residents really care about, I think. And they require discipline. You know, it's like if you can yeah. reinforce the concrete in the metro stations or take the metro to Dulles, you know, our natural instinct is to extend it to Dullas and have brand new stations and mm-hmm, ribbon cuttings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But sometimes, and that's right. what we're finding, you have right. to mm-hmm. be the strict right. person that keeps mm-hmm, you to task. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now uh, a segment that we call Tears on the Dais, okay. um, which is tell me about a time you've just been heartbroken as a council member, just bereft hearing. A circumstance from a constituent testimony and yeah. a hearing that just killed you. Because I choke up watching Channel. I mean, not often. So, but yes, watching Channel and there 13. have been those moments. I think for me, perhaps the most moving and emotional was when a bill that I had. It was called the Death with Dignity Act. It's a physician aid, you know, um, in dying. If somebody has um, six months to live and they have a prognosis that means they will die. Uh, Maybe they have cancer, maybe they have something. It allows them, if they can self-administer, to get um, uh, medication from their doctor to pick the time and place uh, where they want to die within that six-month frame. And some people, by the way, uh, in other states where they have this, turns out that they get it and they don't use it. They wanted to have the option. But it's an emotionally fraught uh, issue, obviously. And um, among the witnesses that we had was a woman by the name of Mary Klein, 
who has since died, by the way, uh, who uh, had a uh, prognosis that she would die within six months, and uh, she knew she was dying, but she believed in this option so strongly that she came to the council and testified about her her own personal situation, and it was uh, heart wrenching. I mean, um, and on top of that, even the debate among the council members, I remember there was a particular council member who recalled a situation with his father and became so emotionally um, upset that he had to leave the dais. Uh, it, it was um, it was very, very moving. It was very emotional. And, and it was sad in its own way because you were hearing from people who were at the end of their lives and wanted to have this option and it was hard to hear the stories. And, and we, we've all been there. We've all had relatives and, and friends who have been, you know, uh, particularly with cancer, um, dying. And they may have wanted that option. And so that's probably the most emotional one that I've experienced. Yeah. You know, in, 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 the, in the sad way. I mean, I've had emotional happy times, too, but uh, um, in a sad way. Yeah, it's... Um you know, particularly having to come down and testify to yes. something. It's difficult enough to talk about issues right. like that with your doctor, with your family, with your friends, and then exactly. to come down and... And share uh, with, uh, you know, uh, the public, you know, people you don't know. Um, right, that's powerful. You have limited time on the earth, and right. you're trying to help yourself, but really trying to help everyone who follows mm -hmm, um, at a difficult time. Um, so from uh, dignity to indignity, um, <laughs> we, we really need to, um, we didn't get funding for transitions in the show this year. Okay. We're, we're okay. going to do that well, next I'll, time. We'll work on it. Um, so tell me something funny. Tell me a, a hysterical story, preferably with colleagues, but it doesn't have to be with colleagues. We're always looking for insight uh, behind the scenes. A hysterical yeah. story. You, you, Councilmember Silverman, Councilmember and Evans are always cutting up and getting in trouble on the dais. So I'm not saying that well, wait has now, to be wait your now, choice wait of now, funny wait now. Story, I sit but... between them, and sometimes it's uh, you know I'm just caught in the crossfire. So I have to you know when the chairman uh, asks us to quiet down, I, I you know I, I go like this. I point. We're on radio, so I guess I have to point. Um, right. Like the Scarecrow and Wizard of Oz, pointing two different yes, directions at yes. the same time. Yes, um, But, but uh, that's in the moment. I mean, I don't know that... The, right, but the, that, <laughs> I, I don't mean to attempt to direct your question. Tell me a funny story of your time on the council. You got anything? I do, but, you know, it could be embarrassing to the parties involved, so I, I think maybe... We can anonymize them. No, uh, uh. you'll probably be able to figure out some of who these who these people are. Um, okay. Uh, so, so, ironically, we're passing on the funny story. I don't think this has ever happened before. Uh-huh. The, the funny story. The, the, I there must know. be a real winner to be... No, if, there if are a number, quite, quite, quite a number of them, actually. Um, but uh, they do usually involve... It would be at probably someone's expense so okay i'm going to skip that one okay i did not see that coming mm -hmm. um well then i think we have no other choice than to uh, move on to our closing segment okay um we, we did uh, dessert uh preferences last time and in this round our closing questions are and you must pick at least two of the following do an impression tell a joke tell us about a strange thing you collect Tell us about an oddball job you had. Tell us one ludicrous thing you can't live without. Tell us about your weirdest family member. Or shower me with effusive praise. I think I'll go immediately to the last. 
This is the most fabulous radio show I have ever participated in, and it's really because of your um, uh, stewardship of it. And so I can't imagine any any better radio show host, you know, on the planet, really. So I, I wanted I wanted to do that. Um, I pre- and actually, th- this is the first episode where we're actually going from a half hour to 40, 45 minutes. So you, you so, actually so have you another want, 15 minutes. So, so if, you want if you, me, you no, want, I'm just kidding. Okay. You want me to go on and on about it? That's when you know people are introducing me, and I think it's too brief. I say, no, no, please go on. Please, please continue. Yes. Um, um, so hit me, with, hit me with one more from the list. One ludicrous thing I can't live with. We're um, an oddball job. We've all had oddball jobs. Oh, I had plenty of oddball jobs when I was younger. Yeah. I, I worked at a place where I made um, Venetian blinds. I believe you were a conductor on a train. No, no, yeah, well, that, that's outside noise. Um, right. I, I, may, I did that. I, um, I've worked, you know, in factories where it reminded me of that uh, show, the I Love Lucy, where the box would come down on the rollers and you had a certain segment behind you. You're supposed mm-hmm. to pull out the page and get the items that are supposed to go in from your section. But, of course, it was always going too fast and you're always running down the arm. Running down. So, yes, that, that was kind of an oddball. And what uh, kind of objects were these? They were ha- uh, housewares, okay. uh, like, uh, I don't know, sponges and different things that you'd put in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. But but it was very tricky, and uh, I guess I, that was not my, my going to be my strongest suit uh, in life. Uh, I was not good at it. And actually, they moved me from the line after a time, and they put me in a, a little section where I could operate on my own. I would get six different colored handled brooms and wrap them in tape. That That, that was another... Major what? challenging job that I had. Wow, was this like a like a gift pack? Someone was being no, no, presented no. So, with, so the, or they would be shipped to. Uh, it's like you know, uh, Giant or Safeway or something like that. You go into mm-hmm. that section, and they have all this stuff up. Uh, they would ship like ship them in six to to the food stores. Gotcha. And you needed to give them one of each color. <laughs> yes, one of each color. It was very important that you had one of each color. Excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the oddball job question. Yeah. Uh, Charles Allen used to inspect high school lockers. Oh, that was a job? Who hired him to do that? I guess the school system. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that was that was fascinating. We're going to do a whole half hour on that next time. Really? Really? And, I can't and, wait to tune in. And the, the chairman, you know, is from a has a family water heater, had a family water uh-huh. heater business, and was telling me there was a um, Amish model of water heater that had a non-electrical a valve switch, but there was enough of a demand in the Amish community. They made a special. So his bu- his family's business was to make those. It was to make all of them, but they had a line. Oh, I see. Dedicated oh, to the Amish. Oh. So, so anyway, this this the oddball job question has been surprisingly rich. Okay, and but, you know I've been I've been involved in like lots of uh, odd jobs, you know, but more conventional like uh, uh, a waitress uh, working in the bakery. Um, work. I worked at a Sears satellite store once where you had to order things, uh, pretty much. And uh, but there were some things on the floor, and we were encouraged to try to get people to buy things that were on the floor because you know you move out the inventory. And so um, selling people like fifty pound boxes of laundry detergent is not an easy thing. Um, when they came in for ordering something, let's say for uh, you know making clothes or something like that, uh, but yes, that was kind of oddball too. But the making the Venetian blinds that was pretty peculiar. That and okay. I have a new appreciation. You know, when I turn my blinds, I go, huh, look at that, look at the workmanship mm-hmm. there. And with a little, speaking of workmanship, with a little work, making Venetian blinds mm-hmm. could be your joke next time. Oh, because I how is I that a joke? Like, I get like like people of Venice. Oh, there is I a see. joke. I think it's like, how do you make Venetian in- blind? Okay. Do you poke them okay. in the eyes? Now, has, has anybody joke. done an impression? 
No. Oh, well, one council member did an impression of the chairman, which consisted of saying the word no. <laughs> um, so I think that was politically or, charged. Or he would, uh, or he would say, uh, again, in your direction for Jack Evans and, and Alyssa Silverman, and I sit between them mm-hmm. saying, could we have a little order here, please? Yes. That would be that would be good. But mm-hmm. I really was hoping someone would give me a Jimmy Stewart or a Ronald oh, Reagan. Oh, one or, of those. But yeah. sadly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of sadly, um, we're out of time for okay. this second episode. Thank you again, listeners, for joining us. Tune in again next time. We're at DC Radio 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. Thanks to you, Councilmember Chen. Thank you very much. I'm sorry I missed the question about um, my biggest frustration um, on the council, but next time. That can be third round. Yeah, third round. Absolutely. Totally ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council. Thank you. Great job, Josh.